Hello, and welcome to the Brothers Grimm Lunch Break. I'm Eric Wagoner. Today I'll be reading The King of the Golden Mountain. A merchant had two children, a boy and a girl, who were still infants and could not walk. About this time, the merchant had invested his entire fortune in richly laden ships that had gone out to sea. Just when he was about to make a lot of money through this venture, he received news that the ships had sunk. So now, instead of being a rich man, he was a poor one and had nothing left but a field outside the city. In order to take his mind off his trouble somewhat, he went out to his field, and as he was pacing back and forth, a little black dwarf suddenly stood beside him and asked him why he was so sad and what was gnawing at his heart. "'If you could help me,' said the merchant, "'I'd certainly tell you.' "'Who knows?' answered the black dwarf. "'Maybe I can help you.' Then the merchant told him that he had lost his whole fortune at sea and had nothing left but the field. "'Don't worry,' said the dwarf. "'You shall have as much money as you want "'if you promise me in twelve years "'the first thing that brushes against your leg "'when you return home, "'and you must bring it to this spot.' "'The merchant thought, "'What else can that be but my dog?' "'Of course, he did not think of his little boy, "'so he said yes. "'Then he gave the black dwarf a signed and sealed agreement "'and went home. "'When he had returned to his house, "'his little boy was so happy to see him,' that he held himself up by some benches, toddled over to his father, and grabbed him around the legs. The father was horrified, for he remembered the agreement, and he knew now what he had signed away. Still, he thought the dwarf might have been playing a joke on him, since he did not find any money in his chests and boxes. One month later, however, when he went up into his attic to gather some old tinware to sell, he saw a huge pile of money lying on the floor. Soon he was in good spirits again and bought new provisions, with the result that he became an even greater merchant than before and trusted in God to guide his destiny. In the meantime, his son grew and learned how to use his brains wisely. As he neared his twelfth birthday, however, the merchant became so worried that one could see the anxiety written on his face. His son asked him what was bothering him, and the father did not want to tell him but the son persisted until he finally revealed everything to him, how without thinking he had promised him to a black dwarf and received a lot of money in return, and how he had given the dwarf a signed and sealed agreement to deliver him to the dwarf on his twelfth birthday. "'Oh, father,' said the son, "'don't be discouraged. Everything will turn out all right. The black dwarf has no power over me.' The son had himself blessed by a priest, and when the hour arrived, he went out to the field with his father. There he drew a circle and stepped inside it with his father. The black dwarf came then and said to the old man, Have you brought what you promised me? The father kept quiet, but the son said, What do you want here? I've come to discuss matters with your father, not with you. You deceived my father and led him astray, replied the son. Give me back the agreement. No, said the black dwarf, I won't give up my rights. They bickered for a long time until it was finally agreed that, since the son no longer belonged to his father, nor did he belong to his arch-enemy, he was to get into a little boat and drift downstream on the river. The father was to shove the boat off with his foot, and the son's fate was to be decided by the river. The boy said farewell to his father, got into the little boat, and the father had to shove it off with his own foot. 
The little boat soon capsized with the bottom up and the top face down. The father thought his son was lost, and he went home and mourned for him. However, the boat did not sink, but continued to drift calmly downstream with the boy safely inside. Finally, it touched down upon an unknown shore and stood still. The boy went ashore, saw a beautiful castle lying before him, and went toward it. When he entered, he realized it was enchanted. He went through all the rooms, but they were empty except for the last chamber, where he found a snake all coiled up. The snake was an enchanted princess, who was glad to see him, and said, Have you come at last, my savior? I've been waiting now twelve years for you. This kingdom is enchanted, and you must release it from the magic spell. How can I do that? he asked. Tonight twelve black men wearing chains will come and ask you what you're doing here. You must keep quiet and refuse to answer them. Let them do whatever they want with you. They will torture you, beat you, and stab you. Let them do that. Just don't talk. At midnight they must go away. The second night twelve other men will come, and the third night there will be twenty-four who will chop off your head. But at midnight their power will be gone, and if you have held out until then and have not uttered a single word, I shall be saved and shall come to you carrying the water of life. I shall rub you with it, and you shall be alive again and as healthy as you were before. Now everything happened, just as she had said. The black men could not force a word out of him, and on the third night the snake turned into a beautiful princess who came with the water of life and brought him back to life. Then she embraced him and kissed him, and there was joy and jubilation throughout the castle. Soon thereafter they celebrated their wedding, and he was king of the Golden Mountain. Thus they lived happily together, and the queen gave birth to a handsome boy. After eight years had passed, the king's thoughts turned to his father. His heart went out to him, and he wished he could see him again. But the queen did not want to let him go, and said, I can tell that this will bring me bad luck. Still, he gave her no peace until she consented to let him go. Upon his departure, she gave him a wishing ring and said, Take this ring and put it on your finger. With it, you can transport yourself immediately to wherever you want to go. But you must promise me never to use it to wish me away from here to your father's place. He promised her, put the ring on his finger, and wished that he was home outside the city where his father lived. Before he knew it, he actually found himself there, and started to walk toward the city. However, when he reached the city gate, the sentries would not let him enter because he was wearing such strange clothes, even though they were rich and splendid. So he climbed a hill where a shepherd was tending his flock, changed clothes with him, and put on the shepherd's old coat. This time when he went into the city, the sentries did not challenge him. After he got to his father's house, he revealed his identity but his father would not believe he was his son, and said that, to be sure, he had had a son, but he was long since dead. Nevertheless, the father offered the man a plate of food, since he saw he was a poor, needy shepherd. "'I'm really your son,' said the shepherd to his parents. "'Don't you remember any birthmarks you'd recognize me by?' "'Yes,' said his mother. "'Our son had a raspberry mark under his right arm.' He pulled up his shirt and when they saw the raspberry mark, they no longer doubted that he was their son. Then he told them that he was king of the Golden Mountain, and that he had a princess as his wife and a handsome seven-year-old son. How can that possibly be true? said his father. 
What kind of a king would run around in a tattered shepherd's coat? Immediately the son got angry, and not thinking of his promise, he turned his ring and wished both his wife and son there, and within seconds they were with him. But the queen wept, and accused him of breaking his promise and making her unhappy. I did it without thinking. There was nothing underhanded about my actions, he kept saying, and he eventually convinced her. Indeed, she appeared to be satisfied, but there was evil on her mind. Shortly thereafter, he led her outside the city to the field and showed her the spot on the river bank where the little boat had been shoved off. While they were there, he said, I'm tired now. Sit down next to me. I'd like to sleep a little on your lap. He laid his head on her lap, and she loused him a bit until he fell asleep. While he was sleeping, she took the ring off his finger and drew her foot out from under him, leaving only her slipper behind. Finally, she took her child in her arms and wished herself back to her kingdom. When he awoke, he was lying there all alone. His wife and child were gone, and the ring as well. Only the slipper, as a token, had been left behind. You can't go back home again to your parents, he said to himself. They'd only say you were a sorcerer. You'd better pack up and get back to your kingdom. So he went on his way and finally came to a mountain where three giants were standing and quarreling because they could not decide how best to divide their father's inheritance. When they saw him riding by, they called to him and said that since little people were shrewd, they wanted him to divide the inheritance among them. This inheritance consisted of three things. First, a sword that chopped off everyone's head, except that of a person who held it and said, All heads off except mine. Second, a cloak that made one invisible, if one put it on. Third, a pair of boots that carried the person who wore them to any spot he wished in a matter of seconds. Give me the three objects, said the king, so I can see if they're in good condition. They handed him the cloak, and when he had put it on his shoulders, he was invisible, and then turned into a fly. After that, he resumed his true form and said, The cloak is good. Now give me the sword. No, they said, we won't give it to you. If you say, all heads off except mine, we'd lose our heads, and you alone would keep yours. Nevertheless, they gave it to him on condition that he try it out on a tree. He did that, and the sword cut the trunk of the tree in half as if it were made of straw. Now he wanted to have the boots, but they said, No, we won't give them away. If you put them on and wish yourself on top of the mountain, then we would stand here below with nothing. Oh, no, he said, I would never do anything like that. So they gave him the boots as well. But when he had all three objects, he could think of nothing but his wife and child and sighed to himself, Oh, if only I were on top of the golden mountain. And he vanished right before the eyes of the giants. Thus their inheritance was divided. When he drew near the castle, he heard cries of joy and sounds of fiddles and flutes. The people at the court told him that his wife was celebrating her wedding with another man. So he got angry and said, That faithless woman! It was she who duped me and then left me while I slept. He hung his cloak around his shoulders and went unseen into the castle. When he entered the hall, there was a large table covered with delicious food, and the guests were eating and drinking, laughing and joking. The queen was sitting in a royal chair at the center of the table. She was wearing magnificent clothes and had her crown on her head. He went over to her, took a place right behind her, 
and nobody was aware of his presence. When they put a piece of meat on her plate, he snatched it and ate it. And when they gave her a glass of wine, he snatched it and drank it. They kept giving her food and wine, but she would always end up with nothing, because her plate and glass would vanish immediately. She became so upset and distraught that she left the table, went into her chamber, and began weeping, while he stayed behind her all the time. "'Has the devil got me in his power?' she asked. "'I thought my Savior had come.' Then he smacked her in the face and said, "'Your Savior came. Now he's got you in his power, you faithless thing.' Did I deserve to be treated the way you treated me? He made himself visible, went into the hall, and announced, The wedding is over. The true king has arrived. The kings, princes, and ministers who were assembled there began jeering and mocking him, but he wanted to make short work of them and said, Will you leave or not? At that they charged and tried to capture him, but he took out his sword and said, All heads off except mine. Then their heads rolled to the ground, and he alone was master and king of the Golden Mountain. The End The Brothers Grimm Lunch Break is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. Download it and share it all you'd like, but don't change it or sell it. The translations used are copyright Jack Zipes and are used with permission. His collected translations, The Complete Fairy Tales of the Brothers Grimm, is available on the media of your choice from Bantam Books. The music is Mount Timbrel by Jamie Janover off his All Strings Considered album, available on magnatune.com. If you'd like to listen to any of the other tales, you can find them on our website, grimlunch.org, where you can also leave comments or subscribe through iTunes. And if you're in iTunes, would you mind leaving a review or clicking on stars to give this podcast a rating? It helps other people find the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.